1 Thessalonians 5, verses 14 and 15. As Paul finalizes his instructions in 1 Thessalonians, we see that he leaves them with a, short, a series of short staccato statements. And really, these statements are designed to help prepare them uh, for the return of Jesus Christ. It's almost like you could hear him preface every statement that he makes with, The Lord is coming, so... The Lord is coming, so, and, and as we read through that, I just want you to picture that in your mind, because he calls us as a church to, uh, to, to uh, be a church that is virtuous. Now, we think of virtue today, it's not a, it's not a word that uh, Hollywood will glamorize. It's definitely not a word that we use very often, is this word of virtue, uh, but, and it seems like really the word is a blast from the past, if you will. But I want you to see that virtue is defined as a behavior showing high moral standard. It's described as strength or even courage. Today, to live for Christ requires us to have a godly strength, a godly courage, to be uh, moral and, and fire, fiber, just as Christ was. Like Christ commanded in 1 Peter 1.16, Be holy as I am holy. So let's look at these two verses together, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 14 and 15 together, as he gives us some very uh, simple statements that have great application. Verse 14, Now exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men, see that none render evil for, uh, for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and to all men. Let's stop and pray together. Father, we thank you for this, uh, these great statements. And at the beginning, Lord, of this great uh, portion of this passage, I'm, just, I'm always thankful when I can come to 1 Thessalonians 5 and receive encouragement and strength and uh, just even something short to, to remind me of uh, the place where you have called me. And so I thank you, God, for the, the reminder of virtue in the church. God, how desperately uh, our church, churches across America, need to continue to be virtuous. And so as we learn from this uh, church in Thessalonica and the, and the instructions that Paul gave it, uh, Lord, I pray that we would heed this and we would be like the wise man. Lord, we would not just hear, but we would act upon it. I love you, Father. Thank you for these dear, precious people. And may you just draw us close to you this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look here in 1 Thessalonians 5, there's four different uh, ways that he talks about a church can be vir uh, virtuous today. And I want to just encourage you, first off, that God calls us to courageously speak truth. Uh, truth is a, a relative in today's world. Uh, you know, it's a relative to depend upon who you are, but God's truth never changes. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and we think about uh, the truth of Jesus Christ. One of the main truths that Paul was teaching was the truth of his return. We saw that in the previously in verses 1 through 12, especially in this passage, and previously in chapter 4 as he talks about the rapture. And so we see that there is truth concerning the Lord is coming. And he is coming, amen? I, I, I'm, I'm excited about it. It's a theme that re, uh, resonates in my heart today. And truly, I believe that He is coming to summon the saints home to be with Him. It's going to be a glorious day when we get to be there. And, and I just every day I wake up expecting to wake up in heaven. I just wake up, okay, is, is, this, is this the morning that He calls us home? Is this the opportunity that we're going to be there with Him? And when He comes and, and it, we hear that trumpet blow, what a glorious day that would be. I don't know of another time in my life where the world has been more ready to hear some of the prophetic statements of the Word of God than now. And yet I've never known uh, the church as a whole to be less ready to share it. 
I think it's got to be a constant theme for us right now as we consider the, the truth that Christ is coming soon. As we consider that Jesus is coming back. And not just to call us out, but then, uh, but then He's going to come back seven years later and His feet will land on this earth. And as He, as he lands here, He'll set up His millennial reign after, the, uh, after He destroys all the nations of the earth. And so we see that this is going to be a, a tremendous time. And so in that time, we've got to be ready to speak truth. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.15 tells us, Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so we see this instruction, study, because one day we will give an account to the Lord. First Peter chapter 3 and verse number 15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And so both of these areas, God reminds us, be ready to share truth. I hope and pray that you're ready. Part of the way that we're ready is we read our, our, the Word, we study the Word, we memorize the Word, we have the Word with us. I, I'm thankful for apps on my phone that uh, allow me to keep my Bible on my phone, uh, but it's not just about an app, it's about the Word of God and being able to make sure that I can sh you know, share that and carry that with me. But we also see that He, he instructs regarding Christian relationships. In the context of this statement uh, is, is, verses, uh, is verses 12 and 13. As he says, and we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. And then he says, now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. And so we see this, there is this, in this context, this need for relationships and being able to deal with relationships appropriately. And we see that here God gives us uh, leaders in the local church to be able to help guide us into spiritual direction. And so God gives these, these different leaders uh, uh, the ability to guide in the spiritual, uh, the spiritual lives so that, um, so that we can uh, be guided uh, according to the Word of God and that we can grow in the Word of God. And these, the Holy Spirit is teaching and showing us that, uh, that God wants us to be able to listen and to follow. Matthew chapter 18, if you'll look there with me, uh, it's not going to be on the screen. I want you to actually uh, to turn there with me. And in Matthew 18, we see that God uses uh, the church in a great way in those times, in those moments where there's problems in Christian relationships. And so the Lord introduces really a sobering function of the local church in Matthew 18. And uh, it's not something that we always look forward to, but it is something that's needful uh, as, uh, as we're reminded in even places like Acts chapter, uh, I believe it's chapter 5, where Ananias and Sapphira uh, had to deal with sin there and other places throughout the church. But in Acts 18, we're given and we're shown here that God has a plan for healing broken relationships and working with those who are uh, not receptive and those who need to be restored and those who need reconciliation. In verse 15, he says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell them his fault between him, uh, thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. And so God deals with, if I've got an offense, to deal with it one-on-one. -on -one. If that doesn't work, he says in verse number 16, but if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And so again, he says now the instruction is to go back to that person uh, that, uh, that is having issues and, and, and try to work out the offense with someone else, a mediator, if you will. And verse number 17, he says, and if he shall neglect to hear them, 
tell it to the church, but if you neglect to hear the church, then let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. And so he says, finally, there's that, that authority of the church and that authority of the place of being able to deal with relationships in the church and those that, uh, that uh, have fallen into sin. And, and at that point, the, the church comes along beside him. We've tried to restore and reconcile, but if there's no reconcil- reconciliation to be made, uh, then to treat them as someone who doesn't know the Lord. One of the most gifted speakers in all of church history was a man named John Christentham. The name comes from the Greek word uh, which means golden-tongued. John was from Antioch and, uh, to uh, what was then uh, the, uh, Constantinople, uh, where he preached fearlessly in the capital of Eastern Roman Empire. He uh, denounced much of the lavish extravagance of the rich and ruling class, and he condemned excess, and and he infuriated many, including the empress of the time, who arranged for him to be exiled. When he was told of his fate, Christendom responded, What can I fear? Will it be death? But you know that Christ is my life, and that I shall gain gain by death. Will it be exile, but the, the earth and all of its fullness is the Lord's? Will it be the loss of wealth? But we, can, but we brought nothing into the world and can carry nothing out. Thus all the terrors of the world are contemptible in my eyes. And I smile at all its good things. Poverty I do not fear. Riches I do not sigh for. Death I do not shrink from. This man, John Christendom, was not afraid. He spoke the truth. He said, listen, courageously, uh, I'm not afraid of what the empress may say. I'm not going to shrink from the truth. And it's a time where uh, we're to stand and speak the truth. You're persecuted greatly. But we must continue to share the truth of the Word of God. We must continue to carry the gospel into the, the world because it is good news. It is great things that God has done. And all that Christ has done uh, on the cross for our sins and for the sins of the world is great news to the world. And so let's continue to carry and speak the truth. And so Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. And so don't fear, but instead trust the Lord to speak truth. But we also see here the next statement he mentions is to comfort the fearful. And here, uh, the second virtue he, he mentions, he says, Now exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded. Now, the feeble-minded literally means those of uh, little soul. It refers uh, to those who are dispirited or even faint-hearted. It really has nothing to do with uh, mental ability or, or deficiency. And so it's Christ that reached out to us as he stated in Matthew. He said in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 30, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Aren't you thankful for that? I'm thankful for the words of Christ where he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, Christ knew that through life we would carry heavy burdens, and Christ knew that that we would need the rest, the soul rest that only he can provide. And so he comes before us today and he says, Come and experience that rest. And so it is the same in church. The, The word comfort here means to speak with someone, that is to speak kindly or soothingly. It suggests even pacifying someone or speaking uh, uh, persuasively and tenderly. The faint-hearted need that constant encouragement, and so coming along beside them and patiently encouraging and loving them. John Phillips stated, It's a poor excuse for Christianity that has no concern for the feeble ones among the flock of God. 
May we have a desire, a, a, a yearning to help those young, tender ones. I, I appreciate those that take some of our, our new folks under their wing and just try to love them and encourage them and strengthen them. Or those that are going through a marriage crisis and they, they come along beside them and say, hey, let me love on you and your family through this time. And, and they try to strengthen those. This is what Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and verse uh, 7 and 8. And he illustrated it to them first. He says, but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. Paul says, listen, I care deeply for you. I cherish you. I, I wanted to comfort you. And we see that comfort is something that God does in our life. Not just in Jesus Christ, as he says, come unto me. But in the Old Testament, God says this in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 and 2, and later in verse 11. He says, comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And in verse 11, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm, and carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. And so we see this comforting work of the Lord in our life. He's that gentle shepherd that cares, that comforts the sheep. We see that in Psalms 23 as well. Then as we are comforted... We're called in the New Testament to comfort and minister to others as well. First Corinthians chapter one or Second Corinthians chapter one verses three through four it says, "Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforted us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort we were, wherewith we ourselves also are comforted of God." And so God teaches us. He says, listen, it's time to make sure as a church that we come along and we adapt this, this virtue of compassion through, through our comfort and, and come along beside those that are weak and those that are struggling and say, let me just point you to the Lord and let me just demonstrate to you what God has, has planned for you. And, and, and I just, I'm so thankful that the Lord loves us each and every step of the way. On February 3rd, 1943, a troop uh, ship named the uh, Dorchester was carrying more than 900 soldiers and military personnel across the North Atlantic. A German U-boat spotted the convoy and fired three torpedoes at the ship, and only one struck the target, but the blast was below the waterline, and it fatally damaged the ship. In the cold darkness, the crew was ordered to abandon ship. Unfortunately, there were not enough lifeboats for all the men, and there was not enough life jackets. Four chaplains were aboard the ship that night, and they helped comfort those that were injured. He helped uh, in the explosion. They were there to help those who feared their coming death. And when the ship was ready to sink, the, sink, the chaplains, each one of them, one by one, took off their life jackets and handed them to the young soldiers that were aboard the ship that night. And each one of them gave up their own lives so that, the lives of, uh, so that they could save the lives of others. This heroic gesture inspired a nation and Congress later voted a special medal in their honor. Most of us are not called upon to physically lay down our lives. But there are many people in our congregation, in the world, people who need to know the Lord and people who need to know the comfort of the Lord. Let's, let's come along beside them and compassionately care. But we see this next statement that he mentions here. Not just warn them that are unruly or comfort the feeble-minded, but he says support the weak. 
And just quite frankly, I just named this cling to generosity. Mostly, I, I like to, to alliterate. It helps us to remember. But we think about supporting those that are weak. The weak mean, refers to those that are without strength. Reach out to the weak. Encourage and lift them up. You Listen, the philosophy of the world is, uh, leaves us little uh, in, as a way of hope. Think about the, the doctrine of Darwin, and it's truly devilish. He says it can be summarized by one little simplest, sentence. The survival of the fittest. How is that compassionate? How is that a, a, a God design? It's not. More than once in our generation, we've seen that doctrine applied with brutal ruthlessness. For example, in both Nazism and communism, Hitler used it to support his concept of the master race. All who were not of Aryan blood were considered inferior. Some people were uh, reduced to slavery. Others were to be exterminated. Christianity was scorned. Its doctrine of grace and compassion and care for the weak, the infirm, the handicapped, uh, the poor, the aged, the sick, and the feeble-minded was treated with contempt. Only fit the fit would be allowed to live. Hitler wanted to breed a race of blonde giants, supermen, who were worthy of his thousand-year reign. I tell you, that's not what God's calling it to here. That's the world's philosophy. Rome and Greece in Paul's day wasn't much better. They had the same attitude. But it wasn't until Jesus Christ came. It wasn't until the world saw that the, the Word of God come forth and pour out of people whose lives were, were changed by Jesus Christ that they saw truly what it mean, meant to, uh, to be generous. Christianity has taught the world the value of a human life. And we're still teaching them today. We're still sharing with people the hope that every life matters. Christianity built hospitals, asylums, and orphanages over the years. Christianity broke the back of slavery, emancipated uh, those that were captive. He campaigned against prostitution. It fought for the repeal of unjust laws. And listen, our modern society has forgotten all the debt that it owes to Christianity today. But this word support means to cleave to to faithfully care for, to, or to keep close by. We must not march on heedlessly, regardless, and re rejoicing in our own strength, but instead to care. Galatians chapter 6 and verses 1 and 2 says it like this. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens... And so fulfill the law of Christ. I'm so thankful the Lord was willing to stay close by in my hour of need. I'm so thankful that the Lord was willing to stay close by as He hung on the cross. I'm thankful that the Lord was willing to stay close by in, in, in His ministry. Those that were sick and those that were hungry and those that were uh, unable to defend themselves. Russell Herman was a 67-year-old carpenter. And he died in 1994 and, and he... In his will, he included a staggering set of, of just uh, bequests to those he left behind. His plan included uh, distribution for more than $2 billion for the city of East St. Louis. His will included another billion and a half dollars for the state of Illinois. He, he devoted another $2.5 billion for the national forest system. And to top off the list, he left $6 trillion to the government to help pay off the national debt. Wouldn't that, isn't that awesome? The sad thing was, when he died, his only asset was a 1983 Oldsmobile. 
It was worthless. His will was worthless. All he had was this old junk out car. And I tell you what, we can tell people we love them. We can say that we love them. But until we come along beside them and we say, let me, let me comfort you. Let me walk with you through this. It's about as valuable as that old will. Let's choose to come along beside those. Let's choose to say, listen, I'm going to cling to you. I'm going I'm to walk with you through this. But there's one final virtue. And that's what I called calm the rage. Look in this last little statement he made here. Be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but, every, but, but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and to all men. Let me, just, let me just be very candid with you. This is not a time that patience comes easily. Can I get a witness? Have you been in a store lately and you got frustrated? Amen. Uh, I'm not going to confess my sins before you today. The, the list is too long. But I'm just going to say that I know what it's like to, to not be able to suffer long. But the word patient means to be long-tempered. It means to, to, it's the contrast of being short-tempered. It's the idea of long-suffering. And it implies some form uh, that, that you've been, uh, someone has uh, been persecuting or even uh, had a provocation against you. You see, within the fellowship of the local church, we find all different kinds of people. And I love the fact that God puts us all together, some from all different places from around the world. And listen, by nature, uh, we would be quite incompatible, quite honestly. Uh, many of us would struggle with the others. Uh, and, but listen to what Christ can do. Because in the church, we have a fellowship of church, and we have doctors, there's lawyers, there's professionals, rub shoulders with people who are uh, uh, plumbers and clerks and shop hands. And listen, there's, there's people who are cultured and people who are uh, like me that are trying to figure out what a culture is outside of a Petri dish. And there's people who are uh, converted thieves and harlots and drug addicts. There's people who are saved housewives and policemen and athletes. Listen, there's rich and there's poor. There, we all come together. In this beautiful thing, God's called out, and He calls it His ecclesia, the called out assembly, we're the church. And we're all thrown together, and we, we're united through the bonds of Jesus Christ. The one thing that holds us together when all of our differences and, and all of our peculiarities is the blood of Christ. It's not just a casual association of people who pay a dues so that we can be a part of this thing we call church. This is a called out assembly and we're bound together by a common faith and by the blood of Christ. We're members of Christ's body. We're members of one another according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And so with so many varied differences and with each person at a different stage of spiritual developments, it's no wonder Paul calls for long suffering. He says here, be patient toward all men. Listen, the Thessalonians had tasted uh, just what it meant to be persecuted. They tasted what it meant to, to need patience and long-suffering. And so Paul demands of them what is essentially one of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. And he says it's one of the characteristics in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 of agape love. Remember, God's called us to have love. The greatest gift that we could have is the gift of love toward one another. And he says, charity, what does it say? Suffereth how long? You're like, I don't know. You gave the answer, Pastor. We're not sure what we're supposed to say. Charity suffereth long. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't suffer short. It's not a short time. But instead, we endure. We bear one another. And there are days where we bear. Amen. Because we're a bear. But God says, listen, be patient toward
toward all men. This doesn't spring up overnight. It's not like I can flip a switch and say, okay, I'm going to be patient now. Uh, everything's cool. I'm good. It doesn't just, don't you wish it worked like that? Don't you wish that you could flip a switch and instantly, yeah, patience was, a, was something that uh, was a virtue that you could just throw out there. Like, oh, I'm, I'm patient. Oh, I don't want to be patient anymore. Get out of my way. I'm driving. You know, it doesn't work like that. Patience is something that develops as we walk and we develop our walk with God. James likens this patience to a person who is a farmer and has planted his, his field and he's waited and he's waited for it to develop. In James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, he says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Don't forget, be patient. God exercises this kind of long-suffering long toward us, and I'm so thankful He does. Romans chapter 2, verses 4 describes this. He says, Or despisest thou the riches of His goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. You see, God's long-suffering doesn't mean He forgets, but instead He gives us opportunity to repent. Two men were driving in Southern California, and they got into a, a battle of road rage. Have you ever seen anything like that happen? Um, and don't confess if you were part of it. <laughs> but but the, both of the men got very hot-headed, and one of the men sped out of the parking lot in a fit of anger. He was chasing. He was driving recklessly. He was dodging. He was weaving in and out of traffic, and they endangered a lot of lives before one finally forced the other to careen out of control. The driver frantically tried to regain control, but in the process, an innocent child a little girl who was standing on a nearby, nearby sidewalk was killed. This life was taken simply because two men became angry, needlessly angry. May I say that anger destroys far more than we intended for it to. May we say that God calls us to submit ourselves to the work, to the Lord's work of rooting out bitterness and anger and resentment. And God calls us to walk away from that and walk with Him. So let God be the one that brings your, uh, to your life a peace in the midst of the storm. Consider with me who Christ was. As Paul wrote these different virtues, Christ loved Judas Iscariot as much as He loved the Apostle John. He loved Annas as much as He loved Andrew. He loved Pilate as much as he loved Peter. He loved the man who spat in his face as much as he loved the woman who washed his feet with her tears. He loved the dying thief who went to paradise, and he loved the other thief who died cursing him. Listen, Christ would have saved that man too, only he wouldn't let him. He rendered evil to no man. He ever followed that which was good. That's the Jesus Christ that we worship today. Paul reminds us of this spiritual principle. Only Jesus can live the Christian life. He lived it for 33 and a half years. As a matter of fact, Acts chapter 10 and verse 38 says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. It's a simple fact of Scripture. It's a fact of common sense and daily experience that apart from Christ, it is impossible for even the most sincere person or even believer 
to live the kind of life that God's called us to without Jesus Christ. We've got to have Him. We need Him in our life. We need Him if we're going to be a virtuous church, if we're going to be a, virtu- a people of uh, a virtue in God's house, we must choose to abide in Jesus Christ. John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5, Jesus leaves us these words. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches, and he that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. You see, tonight God says, listen, you need me. If you're going to be a church, a person of great virtue, if you're going to be able to do the things that we've talked about that Paul encouraged this church in Thessalonica here, it's got to be because we cling and we plug into and we abide in Jesus Christ. It's only through Him that we're, we're victorious. It's only through Him. Perhaps tonight you don't know if you're saved or not. Here's the glorious thing. Christ came to save sinners. Matter of fact, in his own words, he said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his desire. His desire is to to bring those who are in their sin back to Christ. And the Bible says, just so you know, we're all sinners. We're all in need of salvation and a Savior. And so Christ calls you to him this evening and says, won't you come and be saved?